The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It's Tuesday, September 5th, and today is National Cheese Pizza Day, so leave that pepperoni alone. It's also National Be Late for Something Day. Not sure why they would make that on a work day. They should have made that on a holiday, but whatever. As well as another National Another Look Unlimited Day. And basically, I had to look and see what the hell that they were talking about with this, and it basically is like the fall for spring cleaning. So it basically means even though it's a work day, you're supposed to stay home and clean your house. So with that said, thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top-hand corner of your screen to see where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And uh, eventually we'll be on some other places too as soon as we get this coding thing all figured out. But nonetheless, we are going to kick it off with the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamite, the professional backstroker, the professional flip-flopper, and the professional tiddlywinks player. That's right. It's none other than the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamite. Tiddlywinks. I got to tell you what, Jason. I got to tell you what, man. Your 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 uh your 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 clap sounds more like a ocean wave than it does a clap. There we go. That's a lot better. That's a lot better. Thank you. I did not have the clap, but uh, I can say that I'm a three time, <laughs> three time national champion and uh you know, professional tiddlywinks. So at least we I know how you. That is. We Sounds know how perfect. you collegiate tiddlywinkers really, really do. Hey, man. It's if, a serious if you need sport. To ask what tiddlywinks is, then it ain't for you. Exactly. <laughs> I'd like somebody to wink before they start tiddling me. Ooh. Hey, tiddlywinks or tiddlywinks? I don't know. Either way, it sounds something the NFL can get down. if you're riding the dead horse or shooting the dead horse. She's not here, so let's not talk about that. But my story today is coming. Oh. It's all about the NFL. Oh. The National, <laughs> National Football League wrapped up its annual preseason schedule this um, uh, last week and uh, kicks off the first games of the league's 104th season. 104 season this Thursday. Over the past few years, the NFL's conservative ownerships made a slow 
much, much, much slower move amongst professional league peers in its evolution towards cannabis policy. It has, however, taken baby steps. Back in 2021, the NFL elected only to officially test players once a year for THC and promised to hand down lesser punishments for those found in violation. 2022, it awarded $1 million to study the impact of cannabis and CBD on pain management. Uh, you know, $1 million is a mere drop in the bucket to an entity pulling in $12 billion annually in revenue. And uh, CBD is cannabis too, but hey, I guess it's progress. Uh, well, it's 2023. It's a new day. And America's favorite former NFL superstar for all the right reasons, Ricky Williams, he says that the league's move, league is moving in the right direction, but it can do better. In an interview with TMZ Sports yesterday, Ricky said that he's hoping Roger Goodell takes things a step further by allowing teams to actually treat players with cannabis after games. Ricky was suspended uh, five times for violating the league's substance abuse policy, um, and he says that he believes society is going through a big acceptance transformation surrounding the benefits of cannabis and psychedelics, and the NFL needs to get on board. He said that he's thrilled with the league's change, uh, change stance on cannabis, but feels it would have a great benefits for players if they were encouraged to use cannabis instead of pills during recovery. Here's the exact quote. I think the next step, though, is at the end of a game. If we're on the plane ride home and a trainer is walking down the aisle and has two capsule uh, cases, one of Ambien and the other one for Vicodin, and he's walking down the aisle saying, do you need any of this? Do you need any of this? And the truth is, for football players, we do need something because it hurts and you're all revved up and it's hard to come down uh, and go to sleep. And I'd love to see cannabis as being one of those things that the trainer is walking down the aisle and offering to those players. Amen, Ricky. Amen. I love Ricky's balanced response here, conceding that because of the extreme pain players manage week to week during the grueling NFL schedule, weed won't fix everything. Truth is, it can help out with a lot, but sometimes you're going to need a little something heavier uh, to really aid recovery, and that's a choice the athletes should be able to consciously make on their own. Personally, I don't believe that this kind of shift will happen anytime soon in any form or fashion, but it should. And it's crazy to think that as advanced, as advanced in science, technology, and medicine as America is, our most beloved sport, the people with the most to lose, the most at risk, do not have a choice as to what they can or cannot put in their bodies but they damn sure better show up when and where they're told to if they want that non-guaranteed fraction of what they're really worth. Remember, $12 billion annually. These guys, are they're making millions, it ain't much. Uh, but those are just my thoughts. I want to hear from y'all. Um, I think we all can agree that Ricky's right on his assessment that the NFL should let players choose plants over pills. But how likely do you guys think that the NFL would allow such a policy? And if they were, how soon could that happen? I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street. A little uh, week one fodder for that ass. I don't, I, I don't see I think the wait. Oh, go ahead, Todd. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen until there's federal legalization uh, where the NFL really embraces it as a, you know, uh, a treatment or, um, you know, pain and everything. But I interviewed uh, Ricky uh, a couple years ago, and he, he told me, he said, look, I carry the ball 750 times in two years, and it hurts to get tackled. <laughs> and 
Um, he said he used uh, cannabis uh, really just get through the pain. And back then, even he was talking about having the NFL, you know, prescribe, if you will, cannabis for players on a regular basis to help heal the body because it gets so rattled <laughs> right during a football game. But I don't think it's really going to happen until there's some federal uh, legalization. And uh, I, I just don't see the NFL, this big conglomerate, you know, passing out THC pills. Well, on a bus back to the nah, they're, uh, they're well if it goes to not the pills but if it goes to like schedule a, three they will be if it goes to schedule three they'll be passing out those pills because big pharma will be all behind it and all up in it i mean i mean the reality the reality is though it's like there's just there's just so much going on with those with those athletes and the majority of them are smoking anyway and and everyone's just kind of like turning a they've been turning a blind eye until something happens yeah. right until there's there's a question, something comes up, they gotta, they gotta, you know, run the, run the P tests and, and make sure that those guys aren't like on a bunch of other substances. So I'm sure that there's a lot going on, but I don't think anybody's really trying to stop these players from smoking weed. If we're being real, um, I know a lot of pro athletes and I'll tell you that like in the off season, for sure, they're smoking during the season. I bet you, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous. They're just not smoking say- as much. They're just not smoking as much, but they're yeah. definitely unwinding with cannabis. That's a self-medicated thing. I think it's like a more of a don't ask, don't tell situation um, with a lot of these guys. But like, you know, unless they're part of a program that's, you know, got some existential feelings about cannabis and about whatever, um, you know, I'm probably I'm, I'm just going to say these coaches are probably not giving uh, care unless they're losing, unless they're out there losing on Sunday, then maybe then maybe they're going to reel it in. But I, I think uh I think we're seeing it, the NFL, the NHL, I'm sorry, the NBA and well, the NHL. And, the, the, um, the thing about it, too, too, is the reason why they're not going to start administering cannabis, especially until uh, cannabis is descheduled. And if they if it goes to a reschedule, then they'll administer Marinol through a pill form or whatnot or something, some type of synthetic. But the reality is they don't want to lose their nonprofit status. And they will lose their federal nonprofit status if they start administering a Schedule One drug. Roger Goodell will just make his own THC pill. What's that, Rico? I said that's a great point. Twelve billion in revenue yearly, and all for a nonprofit. uh, The Green Bay Packers. No taxes. The Green Bay Packers. That's the problem. Is that they're a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, every single every single large sports organization is. Yeah, what the heck? It's it's, it's the billionaires' free pass, man, and Mm -hmm. um, it's the easiest money any of them make. Yeah, because if you, you don't have to win a single game, you're guaranteed three hundred million dollar payday. Yep, exactly. Every single, every single year, and you don't have to release any of the uh, the stats on how much you make or how much, uh, um, how much money that you're you're aiming to make because it doesn't matter. You don't have if you're to nonprofit. You don't have to providing. Re- yep, you, know, you don't providing jobs. Yep, you don't have to release how much of a markup you're selling wieners for. Twenty dollar beer. Just sales mm-hmm. tax, man. We're in the wrong Lizzie's business, back. guys. Yeah, yes, I true that. Mm-hmm. You should start a sports I, I, I league, think, uh, Jason. Uh, I think that's a very, very interesting. I didn't even think about it that way from a nonprofit standpoint. Um, I, I was just thinking about the conservative nature of the you know, just the good old boys. Well, uh, I, I think a lot the, of that, um, a lot of that conservative nature comes from the government's policy, not necessarily what the people that are uh steering the league necessarily have their personal views on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
When the money flow is flowing, you're not going to stop to mess up the money just because you don't like how the honey tastes. I think they're finding they're finding themselves in a similar position as uh, Amazon and all these other large companies. Like, you're just not going to have anybody to play mm-hmm. <laughs> if you keep on enforcing uh, as you have been enforcing. You don't really get with the times. Like, guys are going to pop positive left and right, so you need to get with it. And, Is this uh, the return to- of the XFL? Oh, definitely <laughs> not. Sorry, <laughs> back. Didn't, didn't the Rock isn't the Rock like a? Doesn't he have the XFL? Ah, maybe, yeah. may, oh, maybe yeah. Elon oh, Musk. Maybe Elon Musk should buy the XFL, and then really turn it into a real league. No, he's already ruining Twitter. I don't want him to ruin. He has anything. not ruined Twitter. He has allowed it for a free open space and has made it better than it ever was in the first place. No, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think he's got the Midas touch. I mean, here's the thing, right? You talked about their nonprofit status. I mean, I am religious about enjoying the NFL, but I'm not sure that they should have a tax exempt status. Uh, You know, Ricky is. But that's all sport leagues. That's all sport leagues, Jaro. Not just the NFL. That's the NBA, the NHL, all of them. They're all nonprofits, even the Olympics. I mean, then I'm just going to have to say that me being a consultant is basically an Olympic sport because I do some things that most people can't be in the top 10 to be able to achieve. So I'm feeling a nonprofit status for myself. Uh, you know, you, you guys mentioned that Ricky carried the ball like 750 times in two years. I mean, I think a friend requested that guy on LinkedIn 750 times in the last two years, and he still hasn't, he still hasn't pressed receive on my little Evite invite. Um, so no, I you just got the stiff jacked. arm. You got the stiff arm there. I mean, come on. Like, I gave Marshawn Lynch his first THCA mm-hmm. crystals, and then, you, you know, you the first product he dropped was the You got to get through Can we talk about some of the hypocrisy, though, real quick, Rico? What was the guy? What was the guy's name that was really, really good from the Dallas Cowboys? Emmett. What was his last name? Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith. No, 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 not 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 Emmett Smith. Not 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 Emmett Smith. I'm I'm thinking of the wrong guy's name. He's he's an announcer on Fox. He's an announcer on Fox. He was a wide receiver. Michael oh, Irving. Irving. Michael Irving. Yes, Michael Irving. Thank you very much. Michael Irving got caught crashing into a car while he was high on crack cocaine. Okay. You remember this? Do you remember this, Rico? Smoking yeah. crack cocaine, crashing his car. And he didn't get removed from Fox. He didn't have to resign from the NFL or any of this. Because they're for, they're all about the forgiveness, Jason. They're they're all about the forgiveness. It's mm-hmm. okay. I'm just and saying. Crack, and crack still isn't cannabis, so it's okay. You know, Fox it's, really it's doesn't like, set the <laughs> set the uh, bar for moral activity anyways so. i thought they did dallas cowboy smoking crack is not really considered a downgrade i mean let's just <laughs> <laughs> that's why i want to be friends with ricky on linkedin because he carried the ball for the for the black and gold or the red and gold rather but black and silver is across the bay and so like there, I there, just, there's a, yeah man it's you know, it's the a, thing a, is this, right? Big, we can count on the NFL to be conservative around all social issues. And they have, uh, and they've done that. They're not they're not they're not going to be thought leaders. They're not going to take a principled stand. They're not going to expose their business to a necessary drawback uh, pushback, uh, you know, and it's sad. I, at a very minimum, it would be nice to say, OK, teams that are p- practicing and playing primarily in markets where there is a state legal program should be able to participate in anything that's state legal, right? Like that to me. Yeah, they can't like do that. Thing. They can't do that with their federal nonprofit status. They can't, they I can't, they can't that say that. That's how it is in the NFL. No, it's, it's, it's more program. like don't ask, don't tell. 
And so I think about how Don't Ask, Don't Tell didn't really serve military uh, gays in the military. It was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. And so it would just be nice if players didn't have to worry about whether self-medicating or wellness or being able to sort of tune out, tune down, relax was going to jeopardize their livelihood and their careers, right? And so, you know, there, there's a lot of room for improvement here. It, 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 even topicals, even topicals with THC, it'd be great if if not only could they use those free uh, freely, but gosh, what would it look like if those were in the training rooms? Man, well, that'd, be, not, those, that'd be one hell of a can, sponsorship for some use. company. Yeah, can they can use a, a lot more easier with, with less rebuke than, than smoking cannabis, right? Because that's not crossing the blood brain barrier you're not pissing hot you're just just locally you're you know, still gonna you're still gonna pass dirty though with a topical test though Simon. you're still gonna still yeah that's yep. what i was thinking yep nah. you're still you'll still piss dirty you will still piss dirty i've witnessed it nah. myself you can go, you can go, uh, no. you, you can go, you can go yeah. kick it with uh ray lewis's uh ray no. lewis's trainer and get some of that uh that moose antler cream some of that rub <laughs> uh but on that we got to go to a commercial and we're gonna be right back How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Coming up next, he's known for smoking the best weed in the world and also is... Uh, that old indicted dude's favorite <laughs> cheerleader when it comes to the cannabis industry. You know who it is. The right, the highest Republican in the room is coming to the stage next. Jason Beck. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. Hope. Oh, man. And I have a little video for you guys. You guys are going to love this. Just a little one, man. Just a little it's one. Just a little video. Uh, Adam, do you want to play the video? You want me to read the story first? All right, all right. We're going to go in. We're going to read this story real quick. Oh, man, you guys. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. The White House says that Biden, in quotes, has always supported medical cannabis legalization. And we know that's all a big pile of crock. But what else? President Joe Biden, in quotes, has always, end quote, supported legalizing cannabis for medical purposes. White House Press Secretary Karee Jean-Pierre said during a briefing on Friday, the statement came days after the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services issued a historic recommendation to the Federal Drug Enforcement Administration that cannabis should be moved from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3 under federal law. In a quote, the president asked the secretary of HHS and also the attorney general to initiate the administrative process to review how marijuana is scheduled, John Pierre said. In another quote, the administration's process is an independent process. I want to be very clear on that. That is led by HHS and DOJ. It is going to be very much guided by evidence, she said. I'm not going to comment on that. I want to be also clear on that piece, so I would refer you all to HHS, she says. Notably, and despite Jean-Pierre's statements, President Biden has not always supported the reform of cannabis laws, as noted by Marijuana Moment. The president has championed many pieces of anti-drug legislation throughout his political career, including efforts to ramp up the drug war enforcement in the 1990s. And in a quote, Look, the president has always supported the legalization of marijuana for medical purposes. He's been very clear about that, where, where appropriate, consistent with medical and scientific evidence. That is why it is important for this review. 
this independent review that is going to be, again, guided by evidence to go through, John Pierre said in the statement. So, so, so play, play the clip, Adam. You guys got to see this hypocrisy for yourself. It's not something we would decide at the federal level, but it's a way of managing. I'm trying to go to the back because I know it's been a while, Kareem. <laughs> so you, you got to ask the president a question today. Go ahead, Alex. Go ahead, Alex. Kareem, how, how concerned um, is the White House about a new COVID wave uh, in the fall? This isn't it. And how are you thinking about what? Are you masking, uh, the boosters, part about weed? Broadly, region is the regular. I mean, there and their hard work over. Not just uh, this past couple of days. Uh, you know what? Kill the clip. Kill the clip. Our, we already read it. All right. That, that's that, that's that's what she said in the thing. This is. That's what she said. Yeah, that's what she said. That's what she said. What do you guys think about this hypocrisy coming out of the White House? We all know Joe Biden does not support cannabis at all whatsoever. And we know that. One hundred percent. We know that he was the author of the ninety four crime bill. Biden had campaigned on fully decriminalizing marijuana. There we go. Even there we the go. DEA Adam. If the request goes through, marijuana would still be illegal at the federal level. Could you provide some more information on exactly what impact this would have on Americans? So, just I don't want to get ahead of the process. I was asked this question before, so just so that everybody's clear, the president, how, how, how about asked, that, uh, 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 Secretary uh, of HHS, the, the, and the woman also doing the, sign the Attorney General, to initiate. I want to see uh, what her sign is for <laughs> weed. I want to see if she does like that. That she did. Yeah. Just did that. The administration process is an independent Oh, she did do it. That is going to be very much guided by evidence. And it, so that I'm not amazing. going to comment on that. Want to be also clear on, on that piece. So I would refer uh, you all to HHS as it as it um, as we speak to legalization and the legal piece of it, as you're asking me in your in, in part of your question. So look, the president has always supported the legalization of marijuana for oh medical purposes. Fake news right there. very clear about that. Where appropriate, consistent uh, with medical and scientific evidence. Uh, that is why it is important for this review, this independent review that is going to be, again, uh, guided by evidence to go to go through. And so I'm just not going to get guided ahead of what HHS She's not going to go into the weeds is uh, what she's saying. The decision that they've made or get ahead of uh, eventually what the DOJ is going to. While Rosati packs some chronic, mm -hmm. let me unpack. Thank you. Um, three months ago, the president struck a deal go ahead, with we can kill it now. that uh, said yeah, spending. Please, like, put me out of my misery, like gaslighting, you know, uh, deflection, yeah. bullshit. Yeah. You know, I don't oh, even man. subscribe to this whole fake news thing because I think that's a talking point of the right. But unfortunately, today, Jason is correct. Oh, you know, yeah. What? That's right. This is just some high grade. It's propaganda. Highly, highly curated and well cured. Bullshit. It's, it's not well cured. She's and, mids. Jean-Pierre is mids. So, this, I mean, this is like. I mean, this is so bad on so many levels. First of all, by framing it as medical only, we mm -hmm. are continuing to stigmatize cannabis in terms of wellness and just people reaching homeostasis and being able to self-medicate. Then by talking about research-based without acknowledging that it's near impossible to do research in the United States, we again have the eye of the needle so small that like, what, what, what like it's just, it's, it's painfully insulting to have them go up there and talk about Biden's position. That's what I thought. It doesn't matter what his stated position is. Mm -hmm. All that matters is what he's done since he's been in office. Actions speak louder than words, huh? In other offices. Actions speak louder than words, huh? Yarrow. Yeah. Yep. Can say he does not give a 
fuck. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, what and- he gives a fuck about is his special interests. He doesn't care. But honestly, here's what's happening with with scientific research and with um, you know recommendations um, based on that scientific research. We're seeing in Oregon recently. They the the industry has lobbied the state to basically stop aspergillus testing on cannabis flower because all of it's failing. And so they said, oh. <laughs> It's not even real, like how you're testing. You're not even mm-hmm. you're not even getting the real results. So, in fact, that's absolutely wrong. Like they're very actually really good at testing uh, for microbials in cannabis. It's really easy to do if it's there. It's gonna show up um, in in their in their plate um, samples. So that's the that's what's funny is we're actually going backwards. We're starting to fight the already irrefutable um evidence that we've gotten from scientific research so it's like this is just more uh fake news more bs more Mm -hmm. nonsense from from our government and i'm just you know no surprise here you know we don't even we don't even have to wear the seatbelt. the car is going to crash you know we know that so we're just waiting for uh the we're we're just waiting for the fireworks at this point Um, but this is just not going to go anywhere it's all political talking points the the biggest problem with all of this is that cannabis and um, not not rescheduling cannabis, but actually legalizing cannabis, descheduling cannabis. So many, so many of the other problems that our that our nation is dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. from 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 crime rates to a lot of the opioid situation, and um, there's like, oh yeah, we got to focus on this. We can't really focus on cannabis. Oh yeah, we got to focus on this. Like it's all connected, and cannabis yeah, can help out in so many other different realms other than just oh, cannabis yeah, yeah. can help you to not focus so if you can't focus on cannabis great join us we use cannabis and i'm not focusing because of it i mean yep, you know this right. notion that there's not enough bandwidth with all the federal employees at biden's disposal to be able to push forward certain things it is Economic again just high grade bullshit yep. They're 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 pushing the East Palestine cleanup 2024. Maybe there's room on the docket to talk about cannabis now. Who knows? Oh boy! They're still smoldering. I mean, that guy got there like two weeks later to do like a little handshake. Like, don't mm-hmm. you understand when crisis hits the headlines? As president, you need to deal with both the process as well as the optics. And so I think, you know, all we need to know about the Biden administration and its relationship to cannabis is what it previously did, which was to uh, what they do with the federal prisoners who were only convicted of of cannabis possession, which amounted Mm -hmm. to one tenth of one tenth. Hold on. Hold on. No no one got out of jail from that. Not one single person was released from the jail. Not single one. Not one single one. They had a darn good press release. That press release was like, wow, that was really good. And you All see time. everybody reposting it mm-hmm. like there's some societal shift that's happening as a yeah. result. All it's, all, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all smoke and mirrors. But, More mirrors and smoke, baby. But on, on that, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep the show rolling. We got we we got six stories today. We gotta get through them all. And Rico has to has to head out right on time today. So we're gonna roll right in to Mr. Todd Denkin. He's the creator of the Smuggleverse, which is like an NFT for your weed. On top of, he is the president and founder as well as Digipath, where if you're in the state of Nevada, where you should probably be getting your weed tested. And he loves Aspergillagis, word on the streets. That's right, it's Mr. Todd Dankin. Old yeah. lover of Aspergillises. Right. <laughs> Just going to get a side of Aspergillises. Right, speaking of that. Get a t-shirt, mate. The aspergillus is that they stopped testing up in Oregon. It's just dumb. 
is uh, easy to test. It's tested with uh, qPCR, and uh, it really tests for presence of or no presence of. So there's no plating of it, so there's no counting it. There's no limit. It's either a it's there or it's not. So the way to really change the aspergillus law is to give it a plenty count like they do for yeast and mold, give it a limit. But uh, it's either there or it's not is how it's tested currently. Shout out to Rad for their qPCR work, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, we have a BioRad at our office. We also have a BioMaryU, and we use uh, we use free DNA removal where we remove the dead DNA of the aspergillus, so we're only testing for live DNA. Um, we're the only lab in Nevada that does that. Here's a, a, a shameless plug. Call Digipath Labs at... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of testing, that's what my story is about uh, today. A study found that 92% of illegal cannabis samples contains pesticides. A recent study published in the Journal of Cannabis Research found shocking evidence of the presence of pesticides in illegal versus legal cannabis from Canada. And high levels of pesticide found in illicit can cannabis inflorescence compared to license sampled in Canadian study using expanded 327 pesticides multi-residue method Researchers compared 36 cannabis samples gathered from licensed dispensaries, 24 from illegal businesses, which was seized by law enforcement and submitted to Health Canada and then lab tested. Researchers tested the samples for traces of 327 pesticides. They found that many of the illegal cannabis samples contained harmful chemicals. Quote from the paper, Pesticides were detected in 92% of Canadian illicit cannabis inflorescent samples with 23 unique pesticide active ingredients quantified. For pesticides and synergists, clobutanol, paclobutrazol, peronal butoxide, and pyrethrins were detected as high sample frequency 8 to 17 times in a total of 24 illicit samples. Also noted that one illegal sample contained nine pesticide ingredients. On average, the illegal samples contained 3.7 different pesticides, to 87% containing more than one pesticide. Researchers provided a table showing which pesticides were found between the licensed and illicit samples. Only 6% of the licensed samples tested positive for pesticides, which included clobenol and mycobutanol, very common in cannabis uh, cultivation. Researchers discussed the main objective of their study was to streamline and expand our existing cannabis inflorescence method. The process included cannabis flour for being homogenized in a laboratory blender combined with a solvent called acetonitrile and then it's extracted with a device called a geno grinder, it's centrifuged and more in order to obtain an inflorescence sample in a vial for testing. Study demonstrates a new streamlined and expanded method for the detection of 327 pesticides in cannabis, a gas chromatography, triple quads, mass, spec, mass specs, and also liquid chromatography, triple quad mass specs. Ultimately, they noted that studies of this nature are not yet common. To the author's knowledge, this study is the only extensive pesticide multi-residue analysis that compares pesticides and the licensed and illicit cannabis cannabis markets nationwide. Study concluded, albeit being a small study, our result to support the government of Canada messaging where, quote, 
consuming illegal products could lead to adverse effects and other serious harms. Testing of illegal cannabis has found contaminants, pesticides, and unacceptable levels of bacteria, lead, and arsenic. Stark difference between the safety of legal cannabis products and dangers of illicit cannabis. This study proved the efficacy of Canada's cannabis industry. In October 2019, a nonprofit called Beyond Pesticides sent a letter to Congress calling representatives to protect the public from harmful pesticides in cannabis. On Pesticides wrote, Pesticides use on marijuana is illegal because marijuana is not a legal agricultural crop under re- relevant federal law. Hemp has only recently been legalized. EPA has not evaluated the safety of any pesticide on marijuana plants. EPA has established no allowances for pesticide use in cannabis production and no tolerances nor any exemptions from tolerances for pesticide residue, uh, residues on cannabis. The absence of federal regulations governing pesticide and cannabis program, use of pesticide is not registered by the EPA and is illegal. Most states use is their Department of Agriculture's list, what they used in Nevada, was Crop Group 19, which is the crop group for herbs and hops. That's how they created their pesticide list. On Pesticides also published a more recent article about the past and modern pesticides issues with cannabis, recommending that precautionary approach be adopted by states in order to protect consumers. Given the absence of federal testing for pesticide effects on cannabis consumers, producers, and the environment, states should establish rules for sustainable production practices that safeguard public health and the environment. On pesticides recommends a systems-level approach to cannabis production, mandating compliance with national organic standards. Back in September 2019, 1,000 people became sick and 18 people died of a then-mysterious vaping illness, Ultimately, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced the culprit to be vitamin E acetate in e-cigarette and vaping products. E-Valley, which is the cigarette or vaping product use associated with the lung injury. Low vitamin E acetate is considered to be safe when taken orally or topically. Inhaling it can coat the lungs and lead to issues with breathing, among other concerns. Advance of this crisis greatly increased awareness regarding ingredients for inhaled products. Cannabis products have also previously been recalled due to unsafe levels of mold. In November 2022, Colorado regulators issued a safety advisory regarding tainted product batches. Earlier this year in January, the Nevada Cannabis Compliance Board issued a public safety announcement regarding the use of unapproved pesticide called ethafon on cannabis products. Affected products included an estimated 117 edibles, 41 pre-rolls, more than 200 concentrates were sold at many Nevada dispensaries. Earlier this year in February, Vermont legislatures um, announced a recall for cannabis grown with Eagle 20, which was reportedly causing headaches and nausea in consumers. As a policy around pesticides continues to develop, these samples stress the importance of education about pesticides and other substances used in the growth or production of cannabis products. It's always a safe bet to obtain a certificate of analysis from a cannabis company or business to verify that your product has been properly tested. I'm Todd Dankin with High at Nine News. What do you guys think about these tainted products? 
is, is that, you know, illegal guys uh, use pesticides because they don't want to lose a crop, right? And the legal guys can't use pesticides because if they get caught, they have to destroy their crop, right? And that's up to a 50-pound lot. And 50 pounds costs a lot of money. Well, uh, that's I, this, my this experience. Is, so. This is illicit product, though, right, Todd? Yeah, so that's yeah, what I'm so they're so not the subject to the fifty pound, fifty pound batch limit, and so they're not. That's what I'm saying. The illicit guys use it because they want to sell their shit, right? Well, this, they this, find this something is, wrong this and is, they spread. This is what happens when you have socialist cannabis, Todd. No, please tell us, Jason. Please tell mm -hmm. us. This is what happens. Yes, this is what happens when you have socialist cannabis right here. Ninety-two percent contaminated. That's what so, happens. Is that socialist so, cannabis? How is it socialist? It's just illegal he cannabis. Can't make the connection between his philosophical construct and the article. So just give him a pass <laughs> because the issue that I have with studies like this one is it said right there it was it was gathered. So the samples that they use, 24 from illegal businesses that was seized by law enforcement and submitted to Health Canada and lab tests in 2021. Uh, what's up with the chain of custody right there? How do we know the-, uh, the How do we know the cops didn't? Oh, I'm, uh, the cops aren't taking the weed and putting it in the evidence room and then spraying it with pesticides. I mean, no, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it past them. Take it outside of the evidence room and sell it out the back door. So well, they might be totally doing that. Different process. Right, 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 right. Here's my thing. The article said that six percent of the licensed cannabis tested dirty. So we've got this high percentage for unregulated cannabis testing yeah. dirty, and 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 I understand that because, and it's not just because people cut corners. It's also if you've never been in the regulated cannabis market, there's a lot of products we used that we didn't know were bad. We're like, oh, it's OMRI rated, it must be fine, yep. or what have you, or it's neem, it came from a tree, must be good. You know, I'm the Lorax. But the thing that also concerns <laughs> me is, is this notion that 6%, and if I didn't hear it right, Todd, please correct me because I'm yep. feeling slightly humble today. But if the 6% of the regulated cannabis tested dirty, y'all up in Canada need to be feeling really, really ashamed of that because the entire benefit of a regulated cannabis industry is consumer safety. And I understand that the occasional rat's tail will make it into a hot dog but if 6% of your regulated cannabis tests dirty, that's a terrible, terrible number. That means your system is broken and you don't actually have consumer safety. If you round it up, uh, Yaro, yeah. it'd be 10%. Yeah. It, never, 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 never trust right. a dude, never we, trust a dude with a rat tail and a glizzy in his mouth. Sure. <laughs> the problem, the biggest problem with the study is that there's, you know, there's a very small sample set, right? 23. Yeah or 24 samples from illegal businesses and, you know, 36 from uh, legal businesses, just not enough of a sample set. So that 6% yeah. is probably, is probably accurate. Um, and, and you're right. Uh, that is a problem with the Canadian uh, cultivators um, in, in Nevada, where, where I have a lab, our biggest failure is for aspergillus and yeast and mold, right? So the national average for failures it's just below 20%. So 20% of the cultivators are uh, failing for some sort of microbial contamination. As far as pesticides goes, we do, we're about 120,000 samples in since we've been open. We do about 15,000 samples a year. And from a failure rate of a pesticide, 
it happens maybe one in every 5,000 samples because it's so expensive to have to throw away, you know, a five pound lot. In the early days, when we first opened, everybody was using pesticides and there were, there were lots of failures, but it really doesn't happen anymore uh, very often. And they mentioned uh, arsenic as well. We also do heavy metal testing. And in our 120 or so thousand samples that we've done, about 10 failures for heavy metals in the last nine years. I like arsenic in my cannabis. If I'm going to take some arsenic, I want it in my coffee cup. I want my <laughs> wife to just poison me the old fashioned way. Like I'm a traditionalist, you know? Part of your charm. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I can't hear you, Rosani. <laughs> you saying something, Simone? Yeah, I thought he was. Uh, His mouth was moving. Yeah, he's talking. He's, we're not hearing him. I we're not he's getting heckling him. the heckler, and I was like, well, bring it. I think he's, oh, just, he's, he's, he's ghost whispering. He's yeah. speaking silently, right, like the Biden thing. You know, I feel sorry for our brothers and sisters up in Oregon with the aspergillus. I mean, that is so common, and, and, and I, I'm not in agreement that you should just not test for it, but I'm also very mindful that we need to find ways to allow people in the regulated supply chain to continually find ways to monetize biomass in a way that still prioritizes consumer safety. You know, it, I did my Barbara Walters routine and moderated a panel a couple years back during COVID on new pathogenic threats for cannabis cultivators. And it's scary. I mean, when you're an outdoor farmer, mother nature's on your board of directors, whether you like it or not. And so, you know, I'm a little dyslexic. So I was getting a little confused between HPV and HPLV. And I guess one is the kids and they need to get a, a, a shot to make sure they don't get an STD. And the other, you know, this 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 hoplate and viroid is, is, is one of the biggest threats. So. Uh, you know, I understand why people are motivated to do what they can to get their crop over the finish line and have a, you know, a bag worthy product. Um, I just think this is an opportunity for us to remember that really lab testing is the, the, the main reason to have a regulated supply chain. And, you know, when you read that article, uh, I was I was worried about the, the, the things that they found in Colorado, the things that they found in other places like Really, a regulated supply chain should mean that nothing gets through if we're batch testing properly. Um, so a little, little frustrating to hear that, you know, Canada hasn't worked that out on the regulated side. And to your point, you know, if you have 36 or 50 or 60 samples, that's not really a critical mass to be able to extrapolate sort of right. data that you can apply more broadly right. to an entire I, national program. I, I mean, right. but the thing the thing about it, can you hear me now, guys? Yep, good? we hear you good Okay, now. so yeah. the thing about it is Canada is doing it as a country and we're doing it as individual states, right? And so there's no congruency with all of these standards and that's ultimately the problem. So yeah, they're they're screwing up, but also it's like, um, yep. you know, to, to a point you made earlier, it's like we were using a bunch of stuff. We're still using a bunch of stuff, Yaro, uh, that we don't know what's in there. And so like a lot of guys that are growing, they're just hearing from other people like what they should use and what's been okay and acceptable, but like they need to read the ingredients. Sometimes those will have trace amounts of like some of those banned compounds and you gotta be careful what you're spraying on your plants, no matter who's using it, no matter what they're selling it, no matter if the main ingredient is something totally different, something that's not on the panels um, that we're testing for um, with the pesticide. So it's like, there's just so many issues, but also, 
just like some places don't have the same um, amount of compounds or the same compounds on the same list that they're that they're testing for. So that's also an issue, right? They're like, again, mm -hmm. congruency is the key with standardization. So it's going to be a long time if Canada can't get it right. And they're a country and they're doing it right. And they, they need but they're but they're the model right for this country because um, we but actively like there's talks and there is some standardizations happening like uh for instance like in california which that'll be something that all of the labs in california will have to adhere to um uh, a new like dynamic standard that they're building for every lab to kind of you know join on to in, in california specifically i don't know uh, todd is nevada doing anything like that at the state level where they're saying every lab has to have the same standards the same calibration and, and all that no no, no. Mm -hmm. uh, there are four different companies that we all buy standards from uh, that are approved by the state. All labs have to be ISO certified. Uh, so the, it is a rigorous test of, of uh, getting open and having to follow the rules. But there is no standardization of any of that. Uh, there should Sample be preparation uh, and testing like method. Yeah, it's, it's right. that's that's a key, right? That's a it's all. So it's all different, you know, but it's as different as the, the chemist itself, you know, doing the work. Yeah. Right? So you got to throw that into the into the picture. Human too, error. Right? Yeah, that's yeah, what there's relative right. standard deviation percentage, right? The RSC percent. percentage is human. Yeah, error. yeah, yeah. No, 100 <laughs> percent. And there's, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of labs that do all kinds of different things, um, which it shouldn't be like that. We should it should be the same. I'm all for standardization the problem like is there's bad players though there's bad players in the lab business just like there's bad players everywhere else right so can't right. always trust the guys that that, that are doing the work uh, yarrow keep it quick we got to get to the next story ambulance what's that i don't mean to be a codependent or ride anybody's ambulance but i think you know razani just hit the nail on the head when he talked about the complexity of complying with these lab testing standards and separate from the different states and different regulations, a lack of standardization within that testing. And so I think that's really important because when we talk about legacy operators not passing a test, it's easy to say, oh, those legacy operators, they don't care. They're just about the money. They don't care if they poison anybody. I think there's a lot of legacy operators as well as <laughs> regulated operators who are underinformed and who are not purposely trying to create contaminated product and as i said there was there was many years where we put stuff on our plants that we thought was safe but we didn't know better and so i just think it's important to not just sort of demonize all unregulated operators because they don't care they're just spraying formaldehyde and agent orange on every flower before they push it out the door it's a very complicated conversation yeah we gotta we, we gotta keep it moving we gotta jason let me just say one more thing yeah i just want to say one more thing is that every lab has to be iso certified which is not easy also every lab has to pass proficiency testing twice a year and so, and we literally get a get a sample, we turn it in, we tell them what we find, and that has to pass, you know, twice a year. And none of these labs actually test for powder mold. Right. Yep. It's not in any regulation. It's yep, so exactly. Weird. Powder mold, you can still buy an eighth of so-called clean cannabis and still open it up and have powdery mildew unless, all over unless your Unless the lab can see it. Unless you can see it in the lab, because we do look at everything uh, under a microscope. You know, they're going to say it's crystals. They're going to say it's crystals. <laughs> <laughs> they're just going to say it's crystals. But uh, we, we, we got we to... Gotta, we gotta, we gotta yeah, we got to... No, we're just going to... We're, we're, we're way behind on time. We got to keep it rolling. We're going to roll right on into Mr. Saman Razani. 
So this dope dad for 15 years helped develop products in Colorado, California, Florida, Massachusetts, and New Jersey as an award-winning solvent extraction pioneer, forever a student of the game. Here to us with a little true believer truth. You know who it is, Saman Razani. Right, all right, all right, my peoples. Happy Tuesday, happy Tuesday. Uh, just going more of this theme we have here today on testing. We have a story out of Missouri today from Gondrepreneur. Court tosses Missouri Cannabis Company's case seeking to reverse recall of 63,000 products. That's got to hurt a little bit. All right. A Missouri judge this week dismissed the bid by a medical cannabis company to stop the recall of nearly 63,000 of its cannabis products. The Missouri Medical Cannabis Company that had nearly 63,000 products recalled last month lost, lost its bid to stop the recall after a Cole County Circuit judge on Thursday dismissed the case, KMIZ reports. The judge ruled that Delta Extractions LLC did not exhaust administrative remedies and that the court lacked the jurisdiction to hear the complaint. Ooh, God, that's, that's a burn. The Missouri Division of Cannabis Regulation, the DCR, had issued the recall because the products were not tracked by the state's seed to sale tracking system and the agency could not verify that the products came from up from a marijuana grow in missouri or that the product passed required testing prior to being sold at dispensaries dcr dcr added um no adverse reactions for the products have been reported dcr said during an administrative hearing on the recall last month, Jack Meritz, a manager for Delta Extractions, testified that during the distillation process, hemp-derived THCA may be used from out-of-state sources. Delta argued that previous regulations allowed the out-of-state hemp product to be used, while the state countered that using out-of-state product is not allowed and the, that more recent regulations clarified that. Delta is also being sued by medical by a medical cannabis company, Dark Horse Medicinals Missouri LLC, which purchased $325,632 worth of now recalled product from Delta Extractions. In the lawsuit, Dark Horse said it was unaware that the distillate was unusable in Missouri and that Delta knowingly and intentionally withheld that from Dark Horse um, that the distillate was unlawfully sourced or derived. And that's our story today. So very fascinating. Uh, I mean, this is we talk about this a lot. And um, I don't know if Dr. Mark Sheldon is, is listening, but this is exactly the argument. It's like, dude, we have to go through so much crap to get these licenses and to operate as a TA, as a company producing or creating derivatives of THC products. Then you have the hemp guys who don't have to do that, who can just get a hemp license in any state. Um, rarely do they have the regulation that we do. Rarely. Um, they have zero tracking information. They have to use, if they're trying to like be compliant with like GACP practices, obviously they have to track all the information, but there is no standard and there is no demand and mandate on them. So they can do their conversions in another state, send it, and, and people are trying to, you know, this is capitalism, right? People are going to try to bend the rules to try to to try to make it work. And this is a perfect example. It's like there should not be a bifurcation of these two systems under our government. There should be one system and it should not. We shouldn't have to worry about stuff like this. But this is uh, to me, this is just hilarious. But Delta Extractions, I'm going to have to like, you know, watch these guys because they're wily out there in the Midwest, just wiling out, making 
uh, bringing in uh, THCA from from mother liquor, you know, that people are fractioning from uh, their CBD process. So it's amazing. I mean, hey, there's no shortage of intelligence and um, innovation in America. And I think that's really a great part about this. But also it's like, come on, like, let's get real. Um, so what do my colleagues think here? And what do you guys think in the in the audience? This is an amazing story. What's going to happen with that lawsuit? I mean, they're definitely going to win that lawsuit. I mean, for sure. I mean, but I don't know. I mean, it's 300K in product. They're going to have to, like, give back their money um, at bare minimum. I don't know if they're going to be able to, you know, lobby anybody to give them more money. But I I don't know. This judge, the judge saying that he's kind of not in the jurisdiction to to make a ruling on this says everything. They don't want to touch it with the 10 foot pole. They're like, hey, let's. uh, you, you know, you made a mistake and we're not going to let you off the hook. You're going to have to pay for it. So T- THC, you're an operator out there. I mean, THCA is legal under the farm bill, so it, it definitely can cross state lines. It's, it's actually it's actually not. They just they just made they just like sent out a, a definitive kind of statement about that. But I, the problem is that it's it's like it's uh, it's not up for interpretation. And the fact that people are interpreting these laws um, is it says everything about our broken uh, judicial system and in our lawmaking system. The, the, the more, the, the more uh, on a state, state level, derived, the more that we see these. Legal. What's right, it? Go. I was, was going to say, uh, the, the more we see these uh, on a state to state level, these uh, lawsuits and everything, like one of these is going to bust it, bust it through and get through to the Supreme Court. We got to have one of these go through the Supreme Court so we can set precedent on what and what cannot be done because that whole Michigan fiasco is like 10 times as big as this one just for the, the the Supreme Court of Michigan to say oh we can't we can't even hear this case because um it's not federally legal like that ain't going to cut it people are losing millions of dollars uh on these recalls and uh, and they have they have no recourse uh, set for them for losing this money they can't sue the people that set them up whether it's the state or whether it was um up their uh, opponents in the field uh, just putting some bullshit out there to them like like this is it's gonna get it's gonna get real real nasty real real quick because a lot of people are hurting for cash right now yep yep i think separate from whether hemp derived cannabinoids can cross state lines and be put in consumer products there has typically been a firewall between regulated cannabis and cannabis derived cannabinoids versus hemp derived. And I think that's part of what we're seeing play out in this article. I'm glad that you picked up this article, uh, Saman, because I was the one who like posted it up on Friday because I, I think it's rich. It's got a lot to unpack. The oh, first yeah. thing I have to say though, is the fact that their lawsuit was shot down because they hadn't exhausted their administrative uh, options shows a very kind of litigious, suey suey mindset. And I, I'm not really in favor of that. Like, stop lawyering up and go through the system. And then if you don't get relief through that, then go sue. But the, the fact that they couldn't even get anywhere with it because they hadn't exhausted that system, uh, I think is, is, is not a good sign. I'd like to see less lawsuits, not more. The other thing also is, like, I think about this in terms of other consumer safety products, like milk, right? Milk has that, what is that? That bovine growth hormone, that RBGH. Mm. I'm not talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm talking about this thing they put in the in the cows to make them make more milk, right? And like, there's been no science to show that that stuff's not healthy for you, but at least they put it on the label. So if you want that in your milk, you 
can get it. And if you don't want it in your milk, you don't have to buy it. I think but about that... the same salmon, right? We got the farm raised shit. It looks like it was, you know, fed some pellets and 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 raised in a fucking swamp bucket. And then you got that ocean fresh shit. So if I'm gonna have a cannabis product and there's some hemp derived cannabinoids in there. I, a very minimum, separate from whether you can put those into a regulated cannabis supply chain. I want to know as a consumer where those cannabinoids came from. I don't think that's a a, a heavy ask. But, but that's why, but, that, but that's why the duality needs to go away, right? It's like it's t and that's what they are. That's kind of what they're that the predatory kind of nature is, right? They're saying what's in there. They're saying it's THC compound for compound. So we're they're not, not like they're it. not they're not being surreptitious and saying hey, but but why is why is there a, a need to say it's from hemp versus from cannabis? It's the same freaking thing. It's the same thing. thing. Like, it's all just, cannabis sativa L same, under exactly. the Controlled Substances same thing. Act. So let's just so let's just kind of let's let's evolve the laws to to make it a little easier and better so that we don't have to worry about how these cannabinoids were derived to be put into these cpgs right if it's delta eight and if it's delta nine from hemp we know it's going through a significant chemical process and you know an, an acid-base reaction to create that product that sounds like something i don't want to put in my body right but if it's coming from thc they can do this without the need for all of that chemical synthesis so you know, mm -hmm. that's the that's the that's kind of what drives me crazy about it. It's like like forget about all the labels and all this crazy shit. This is this is bureaucracy uh, doing its thing. Right. Where it's like, oh, we have a, a label for all this for all the stuff. But there's still pesticides in those products that we can't use on our shit. But it's like it's it's the same song and dance is always going to be. This just needs to be one nation under the plant. And that's it. We got limited time. We got, we got limited time. Go ahead, Rico. Let's go. You got, you got Yara? Yeah. Oh, I, no, I just, I thought, I thought, I thought it was you. My bad. All right. Well, coming up next, it's, it's Yaro. He was just on yesterday. You guys are probably remember exactly. He's up there in Sonoma. He's also known as, he also plays body double for the Florida man every now and again. That's right. Seventh generation cultivator and cannabis real estate. That's right. It's none other than the Yaro Kubrin. Man, I'm like, I gave you a great intro stuff. yesterday, Yaro. I just got to say that. Just got to say that. <laughs> Cross between Robert De Niro and Woody Allen, gangster as fuck, but all up in his head. The motherfucking midget from West Sonoma County. Let's go. No, um, seriously, thank you for having me on again today, uh, for the viewership tolerating me, and uh, hopefully I've brought some levity to uh, to an otherwise crazy, crazy world. Uh, the article I'm going to read today is is about. <laughs> I'm keeping it international. I was so inspired by Luke yesterday. Um. I'm keeping it international. So without further ado, Australia and Israel, top destinations of Canadian medical cannabis exports. <sighs> Australia and Israel were the top markets for Canada's medical cannabis exporters last year as the quantity of flour shipped overseas continued to surge, according to new figures shared by Health Canada with MJ Biz Daily. In April 2022 to March 2023 fiscal year, Canada's exports of medical marijuana flour were almost 60,000 kilograms, approximately 132,000 pounds, a 40% increase over the previous year's 40,000 kilograms. The vast majority of exports, however, went to only three countries, meaning exporters risk being dependent on a very small number of markets. 
Almost 80% went to Australia and Israel, which together were responsible for importing about 47,000 kilograms of Canadian flour. Germany was the next biggest importer, accounting for almost 10,000 kilograms, or approximately 16% of the total, according to the Health Canada data. Since 2017, Canada has exported 126,000 kilograms of medical cannabis flour for commercial and scientific use. In total, the value of Canada's medical cannabis exports last year increased to 160 million Canadian U.S. dollars. That's 118 U.S. 118 million U.S., about 50% more than the year before for fiscal 21 to 2022's total. Aurora Cannabis CEO Miguel Martin told MJ Biz in a phone interview he sees medical cannabis exports as a long-term play for his company. It's a big opportunity. The margins are two and a half times what they are in Canadian rec and not declining, Martin noted, referring to Canada's recreational cannabis market. Australia, meanwhile, was the top importer of Canadian cannabis extracts. Among the top five importing companies, Australia accounted for 93% with almost 9,000 liters or about eh, 10,000 liters for medical cannabis extract products exported. The Cayman Islands was also second, receiving 320 liters of Canadian exports. Brazil, Barbados, and South Africa rounded out the top five last year with about 136 liters, 103 liters, and 90 liters, uh, respectively. Driving export growth. Some of the factors driving Canadian cannabis exports are increasingly higher quality products in the Canadian domestic market, which remains saturated with competition and oversupply. Higher margins overseas in part because of excise levels in Canada. Fewer competitors capable of competing internationally given high barriers to entry in most of these markets. Aurora's Martin said part of what is driving exports higher is the good reputation of Canadian products overseas. <laughs> that was hard to read. There's a lot of, of equity and credibility for Canadian medical cannabis products, he said. But the export market is getting more competitive with countries such as Colombia and Denmark aiming to grab more of Canada of Canada's share. Similarly, more nations have ambitious ambitions to be net exporters than there are countries with plans to import meaningful quantities. Signaling competition in the import-export market will get more intense in coming years. Canadian licensed producers also risk becoming dependent on a handful of international markets where regulations can sometimes change with little to no warning. Martin said he's confident some import markets will open up as slow-moving regulations in some counties don't allow production to keep pace with demand. He pointed to Poland and the United Kingdom as nations with potential. Martin said regulatory certainty is an important factor. One of the things for us is we want to be in markets where the regulatory framework is predictable, even if it's slow. Setting the German opportunity, Martin said that gearing up for that is a way bigger opportunity than hoping and praying that something is going to happen in the Netherlands. Most importing countries require European Union good manufacturing practice. That's EU GMP certification or something similar, which is costly and takes time to achieve. One of the more finite resources that is really important out there is EU GMP flour. That's very expensive, very hard thing to do, and not a lot of people are doing it at scale, and all of those markets require it. When you see new markets come online, it's not just the size, it's who is capable of addressing it. As these markets come online, you're going to see the same winners, and they're usually multinationals. Export seen rising. Deepak Anand, principal of ASDA Consultancy Services in Surrey, British Columbia, suggested that the Canadian exports are gaining momentum in part because some of the countries that allow medical cannabis still don't have enough domestic product 
to match demand. Australia, he said, is licensing more cultivators, but not enough to meet domestic consumption and regulated market, meaning imports will still need to be need to be used to fill the gap. But he warns that recent regulatory changes are creating potential headwinds for prospective exporters to Australia. Starting in July, all imported medical cannabis products in Australia were required to comply with stricter import requirements. I think that will result in a little bit of limiting how much product actually is going to continue to go into Australia. Anand has his eye on Portugal, which he expects to increase imports. A lot of people are now exporting to Portugal with the intended market being Germany. There's quite a bit of money on the table from a revenue standpoint for exports. All right, so let me kick this off. I know we got to sort of wrap it up, but this one I think is pretty rich. The first is Shame on you, Canada, for the two and a half X margins on medical. Like, it's medical. If you want to get into heaven, help somebody who's sick. So it's pretty sad that they're chasing the margins of medical. But whatever. I think capitalism can can can, can coexist with doing the right thing. The other thing is, and, and this article touched on it, you know, towards the end, it's really about that GMP certification, right? Because that's the biggest barrier to entry. And... I remember going to Israel, going to Canatech in like 17 or 18, and Israel does a really good job of telling its story, but that's kind of embarrassing if you've had a medical cannabis program for the better part of five, six, seven years, and you still can't create enough cannabis domestically to cover the, 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 the consumer base or the patient base. Like Israel needs to stop bragging and start building. <laughs> I'm Yaro Cooper, and this is Hyatt 9 News. Yeah, man, it's, 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 this one's very rich and um, Canada winning. <laughs> that boof weed worldwide. Yeah, Canada. Oh, man, the, poor Canada. They got the same. Like, like they have to. They, rules no, it's like the expert. joke. The joke is they have to send it out of Canada because not even Canadians want to smoke it. Yeah. Right. I don't know, man. I don't know. Folks so desperate for weed, they got to import it, right? They'll take anything. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, to do a GMP certified facility does create sometimes nine to 18 months more in the production process if you're building ground up or whatever. But I remember Australia setting up its medical market. Israel's had a medical market for a really long time. And so I'm still really, really puzzled by the notion that they have to import anything. I mean, I like some things imported. My, my vinegar... I like it from Modena, that Parmesan cheese. I like it from the Parmi region of Italy. But, but cannabis, I really like a, a, a hyper-local product. I want to know the valley, the ridge it was grown on. I want to know the fog is, you know, 100 feet. The fog line is 100 feet below where the patch is. And so I do think that with Canada focusing on the export market, really, to me, not to be super judgy, but a little judgy, that's a failing of those other markets that they haven't, because they've been around for so long, haven't been able to support and, facil and, and facilitate uh, those GMP certified manufacturing facilities being stood up in their own countries. You know, um, and this is a great note to, uh, to end on, Yarrow, but I do have to make a quick correction there because um, the, the, the greatest, ask any cheese expert, the greatest Parmesan on earth is actually... Um, coming from wisconsin these days oh boy 
But oh. thank you all for joining us today. in Italy anyway. I made that up. Just saying. Just saying. Thank you all mm-hmm. for joining us uh, for another episode of High, Known, uh, High Nine News today. You can catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to the Super Fan Show and Love getting their comments posted live on the big screen. Our live audience and online supporters catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day to the headlines of chaos. To our vetted correspondent team, tuning in from all over, bringing as much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table. To our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, and all our sponsors keeping the lights on AV struggles to a minimum. And of course, the lovely Zsa Simone holding us down on all the other networks. As always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason the Hyatt 9 News team reads these headlines daily. Thank you. And uh, to everybody, it has been Tuesday, September 5th, 2023. The show's over. You've been blessed with the top industry headlines. Hope it's enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until hump day. My name is Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street. And I'm signing off today, and I want to kick it right back. To my man, Yaro Kubrin. What you got for us today, man? Leave these people with a good message. Oh, I'm supposed to do the outro just on like the improv outro? Like I'm just supposed to have that shit? Like I'm a radio announcer or something? Y'all motherfuckers (laughs) better come back tomorrow because you know we keep it spicy. There is no better way to get a little bit of infotainment than to come back tomorrow at nine. There you go.